you turn to Genesis chapter 41, we're rolling along, we're going to wrap up the book of Genesis, our little more than a year-long journey here through this amazing book. But as we finish up chapter 41 tonight, as we began last, night, last time we were uh, looking at the beginning part of this chapter, we really looked at, at Joseph's time in the school of ministry, and he's now going to graduate. He, he's finally reached that place to where it's time for him to get out of school and go to work. Uh, for those of you that have children that are going to go off to college, you know, one of the things that you really hope for when they go to college is they actually can do something with that college degree. Amen? You know, you, you really don't want to go through a school of any kind and then find out there's nothing to do with that degree that you have. Well, there's no chance that that's going to happen to you in the school of ministry because God always has a plan to use what he allows in your life. And we're going to surely see that tonight as we finish up here in Genesis chapter 41. We'll begin in verse 37, so if you join me, we'll pray and uh, take a look at what the Lord has for us tonight. Father, we are thankful. God, we're grateful, God, that you use all things. Lord, every little journey in our life, Lord, every yacht, every tittle, Lord, every piece of punctuation, every stop on the journey, Lord, every pain, every sorrow, Lord, every weakness and strength, Lord, our, our times where it feels like we're in prison, our, our real prison times, Lord, our times of joy, and Lord, that, that time of learning, those good things in our lives, you use all of it uh, together to work in our lives, to, to make us ready for the things that would lie ahead. No place is that more clear than here in the life of Joseph, and we pray that we would learn and glean from it, and pray that you'd speak to us tonight. Bless us as your church as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 37 here in Genesis 41. And while you look at this, it doesn't seem like Joseph's life is set up for much success, even to this point. Amen? He's kind of had a rough start. So this should be an encouragement to you. Maybe you've had a rough start. Maybe your life to this point, when you came in the doors of the church tonight, uh, maybe your life up to this point doesn't seem like you're going to be graduating to greatness. Uh, It did not seem like that for Joseph either. And yet what we find in this passage is that God all the way along has been working in Joseph's life to lead him to this place. And he's going to use... Joseph now mightily for the Lord. And so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all of his servants. And so Joseph has gotten out of school, and now Pharaoh is going to promote him, give him his degree, verse 38. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? You know, when God works in your life, even pagan kings will take notice. When God has done that completing work in you of making you ready and getting you prepared, uh, you can count on the Lord doing the promotion himself. And Pharaoh, pagan Pharaoh, remember this this is not a a man who you would think would be prone to acknowledge the things of God. Uh, But when God's at work in you, even those who don't know the God that you serve, who haven't committed their lives in our sense, in our case, to Jesus, even those people we'll have to acknowledge there's something different about your life and it's that place where God is able to then receive glory from the things that you've gone through, from the life that has now been trained up to this point. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 39, 
Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this. So now you can see that the Lord is actually receiving the glory for it. That, that God himself is being glorified through the things that Joseph has said. There is no one as discerning and as wise as you. And you shall be over my house. And all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Here is the most powerful man in the world at the time. There there was no one more powerful than the Pharaoh of Egypt at the time that these words uh, were true in in the sense that uh, they actually happened. And so here is the most powerful man in the world taking stock and taking notice of what God has done in the life of an individual who actually got into into his employ, into his house, through means that you and I would look at and say were unfair and unjust and unkind, uh, were brutal and intended for the destruction of Joseph. And yet God was at work the whole time. God was moving in Joseph's life. And so other than in regard to the throne of Egypt, Joseph is going to be the grand vizier. He's going to be the one who actually calls all the daily shots. He's the one that's actually going to rule the country and only with a few exceptions and those things of national interest and national security uh, that that Pharaoh himself would have to make, uh, Joseph's going to be the person who now reigns in essence over Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all of the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took, took his signet ring off of his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Now, this is the equivalent in our modern day uh, of you receiving a power of attorney from somebody that's an authority. Someone would be an authority. And I've had this position with Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and I bear that same authority here for the corporation that's called Calvary Chapel South Bay, Inc., But in that sense, when I used to travel around the world for Pastor Chuck, I carried with me a slip of paper. It was notarized. It was sealed with the seal of the corporation. And if I went and I spoke something as a a matter of business, that was considered to be the word of Pastor Chuck Smith himself. And it didn't matter if I was right or wrong. With that slip of paper, I was making a decision that could indebt the church, It could purchase properties. Uh, I had complete authority to spend the church's resources, to do anything and everything. And that is exactly what's going going on here, except in a much greater sense. Joseph is going to receive the signet ring of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And any decision that Joseph makes carries the weight of the Pharaoh of Egypt. The moment he takes that ring and wax is dripped, or clay is used, and Joseph presses that ring into that wax seal, making what's called a bulla, that is the same as if the Pharaoh himself signed it, or the Pharaoh said it. So Joseph is getting a severe promotion here. He's going from the very bottom, he's going from garbage to gold in that sense. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck, And he made him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So that he set him over all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. But without your consent, 
No man may lift his hand or his foot in all of the land of Egypt. And so Joseph now has graduated, in essence, to, to greatness. And no greater statement of that graduation uh, than can be found there in verses 37 and 38. Everyone agreed and everyone saw that there was something different. And in, it is directly said that the Spirit of God uh, was moving in his life. And now he's made the overseer of the land of Egypt what a witness to the world Joseph has become. And when you think about what's happened in his life, you're thinking, maybe he's not even going to survive this. Perhaps he's going to end up dead. And he's thrown into a pit. His brothers have concocted this story, and they've slaughtered an animal and smeared blood on the multicolored coat and taken it back to Jacob and lied about him and He's been sold to a caravan of traders and, and taken off to Egypt and dumped into Potiphar's house. And in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife comes unglued when Joseph dismisses her advances and he ends up in prison over it. So he's falsely imprisoned. He suffers years of torment in that prison. And yet, God didn't miss a beat. God didn't miss a thing. He had his eyes on Joseph the whole time. And maybe you're going through things like that. Maybe you've been falsely accused. Maybe you're suffering through a time in your life of, of, of great trial, great struggle. And it really is not your doing. It, it's someone else has acted to put you in that place. I want you to know that God knows the truth. He knows exactly why you're there. And he has an intent because of who you are in him to use even those things which are unfair and unjust for good in your life eventually according to the plans of God. And he has not missed, he has not missed the things that have happened to you. He's seen every last bit of it. The beginning, Joseph, this, this young boy, is in the, he's in the back of the prison. He's forsaken. You have to picture this. When Joseph goes into the land, he is a teenager. He's 17 years old. We're going to be told very shortly that he's now 30. That means for 13 years, almost half of his life, he has been maltreated. Almost half of his life, he's been falsely accused. Almost half of his life, he's been left for dead by his own family. And yet God sees every last bit of it. And he's brought out at just the right moment when the, the world's most powerful nation is in need of exactly one type of man. And God makes Joseph that man. And God can make you that person, that man or that woman. This isn't a gender issue. This is one of those things where, where God could be preparing some of you ladies for a very specific place Maybe even in the world's history. Not, not just in your own home. Perhaps for all of us. God's leading in every last bit of it. There's going to be a worldwide famine and Joseph knows it. He's been prepared by God ahead of time. Because Egypt in the Nile River Delta... And if you look at the Nile River, and actually there's, there's really two Niles, there's the Blue Nile and the Upper Nile, when they come together, and they come down from Central Afri Africa, but in relationship to us, they actually travel north. That's the world's longest flowing, north flowing river. 
But when you look at the Nile Delta, when it comes together, there's a reason that God's actually going to send the children of Israel there and call it Goshen, call it the good land, the blessed land. Because it's actually able to be irrigated. Every single flood season, the Nile overflows its banks. It redeposits soil in there. And so Joseph is being set up in the one place in the entire Middle East where you can actually see that God's preparing a way to provide for those that are going to be in this famine. And the people that are going to be most affected by the famine are the people that are his brothers and sisters in the land of Canaan. Because when you travel to Israel, something becomes very, very clear. There's not a whole lot of water, even with the Jordan River. It's a tiny stream. Most of the Jordan's no wider than the front of the stage here in front of the sanctuary. The vast majority of it is tiny. It flows its whole distance all the way from the upper slopes of, of Mount Hermon all the way down through the Hula Valley to the Sea of Galilee, down through the, the middle of the lower Jordan River Valley to the Dead Sea, it, it never gets more than 50, 60 feet wide. So if there's, a, if there's a drought, if there's a famine, that area of the world is going to be radically affected, but not so with the Nile. The Nile is a huge river, and it has a tremendous amount of water in it. And furthermore, it drains more than half of the continent of Africa. And so Joseph has been placed by these bad circumstances in the one place in the entire Middle East where God can use him to take care of his family. Pharaoh listens to Joseph now, not just because he makes sense, but because God has spoken to him. Pharaoh himself declares that. So he sees the difference in this man's life. And I want to ask you a question. Can God see the difference in your life? And can other people see the difference that God sees? Because God knows what you're, who, you're, who you are and what you're about. You know, we, we kind of have our own little ways of trying to fake people out, don't we? If we're honest, you can be honest. It's a good thing. If you're honest, you, you kind of have things that you want people to think about you. Let me give you an example of how you can know that. Facebook, Instagram, all the social media things. You ever notice how nobody ever posts an ugly picture of themselves? Or nobody says on there, I'm a complete failure. You know, it's always, you know, the, these, these things that you want other people to think about you, and they're generally good. Well, God actually knows that when you get up in the morning, your hair, you know, goes this way. And God knows that you don't know everything. And God also knows what you do know and exactly how to use it in this world. And so from God's perspective, when God puts you in a situation and the world takes note of what God has done in your life, there's something special underway for you. God's done something and he has readied you for that moment. And so Pharaoh begins to listen to Joseph a man of God, even though Pharaoh himself is not a man of God per se. The world is constantly trying to make the church look bad. It works overtime at making the church look like a bunch of fools. If you don't believe that, next time something's on the Discovery Channel, it has anything to do with the Bible in a general sense, you're going to find out that usually the backstory of all of that is trying to make somebody who professes to know Jesus personally look like a fool. 
that, that we're, we're crazy, that we're, you know, we deny climate change or whatever, and so we consequently must be the Antichrist already. But here in Genesis, we're, we're told that Pharaoh now sees through the life of one man what's going to happen for the next 14 years. That's a long time. That's just a tad longer than Joseph has actually been uh, in, in Pharaoh's care, if you will, even though it wasn't very good care. God's perfectly seen to it that, that Joseph got prepared in exactly the way he needs to be prepared. In other words, Joseph was in a place of transition. Joseph had been in one scenario, and that scenario had lasted a long time, 13 years. And it was a painful one. It was not a fun one. It wasn't something he woke up every day and said, praise God, I'm in prison. You know, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, I might not eat today. It wasn't that. But he was in a place of transition. God was transitioning from one part of his life to another part of his life. And for you and I, life is filled with those types of transitions. Joseph, in that sense, went from the back of the jail all the way to the throne of Pharaoh. And he did it about that fast. You know, sometimes we kind of give up right before the Lord's going to make good on the things that he wants to do in our lives. I want to encourage you. Be steadfast and immovable, abounding in those things that are in the Lord, the labor of the Lord. Because God sees all of it, and he is not slack concerning his promises, just as Peter said, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, including us who are working out those details of our lives. But God may be getting ready to transition you, and you can see this, and Pharaoh takes off his ring off of his hand and puts it on Joseph's hand and clothes him in these clothes. Two days earlier, Joseph's not sure what's going to happen in his life. And there's a transition just like that. And I can tell you in my own life, as I think back on it, some of the times when I've been most discouraged, most ready to quit, most beat up, most feeling like there is no way in the world that there is a next chapter, in ministry or even life at times, when you get to those times when you despair. And I think most people, when they're honest, will say there have been times, even as Christians, that we have despaired. Maybe not of life, but maybe of circumstance. Maybe that place where God has you. Maybe you feel like God doesn't see you. Maybe you feel like you're invisible to God in that sense. But you're not. You don't know. And in my life, I can tell you, there have been times when it's like, man, I'm just ready. It's like, okay, I will do anything, but this isn't working out. And then a week later, it's like a phone call comes in and the Lord's going to now share with you the next steps, the next things that God wants to do in your life. You have to be ready at a moment's notice and you must be prepared by letting God use where you are right now to prepare you for where you're going to be tomorrow. Don't miss that part of the process. Even if it seems like it's painful, even if it seems like it uh, is something you can't bear. And here he is, 13 years of of painful servitude. He's going to transition over from this place of garbage into the glory of the Lord. 
And, and you can see the, the primary mover in this, the prime mover in Joseph's life was God working these things out. You know, we have a tough time recognizing that God allows hard things into our lives, don't we? Maybe you don't, I do. There are times I, you know, I would like, I, I think most people think this way. I would like to think that I've learned most of the hard lessons I need to learn at my age and the amount of time I've spent in ministry. I, I can tell you that. that from me to you, there are days I wake up, it's like, ah, there's no more really big things to learn. I got saying I'm not perfect, but you know, I mean, I'm kind of okay. And so, you know, maybe a couple of little things, Lord. And then he allows some major crazy thing into my life to remind me I'm still a work in progress, that he's not done yet, that he's got something he still yet wants to teach me. I'm sure that's the way Joseph, even as a young man, he probably thought, I mean, how much more prison time do I need to go through? How much, how much more false accusation do I have to endure? Why is this happening now? I learned that lesson a long time ago. There were things that God wanted to do, and God was going to make sense of all this, even though Joseph didn't understand it at the time. You might think of this in this way. Here comes Pharaoh, and I'm wondering... If Joseph, in the, in the midst of this, because at this time, Egypt was ruled by what are known as the Hiskos kings. And the reason that they had a little bit of a, a similar a backstory to them is the Hiskos were actually, um, really they were the, the forerunners of what we would call the modern day Bedouins. They journeyed through the land uh, they lived primarily uh, in the northern reaches of Egypt, so it would have been in a little bit of the Sinai, a little bit of lower modern-day Israel, um, definitely along the north coast of Africa. And, and so the reason that they would have maybe thought, hey, you kind of look a little bit like Uncle Laban is because they were actually related to the Israelites, to the children of Joseph or to the children of Jacob, rather, of whom Joseph is one. And so they were, in that sense, family. And it's largely believed that Sestrosis III was the Pharaoh who actually is going to oppress the children of Israel. Um, his daughter would actually be the one who would rescue Moses uh, from the Nile, and you look at all these kings, and basically they are going to be slightly related for just about the period of time that the children of Israel spend their 400 years in captivity. So even in that, God is setting the stage for the right people to be in the right place at the right time, even through using Bedouins to end up as Pharaoh. And so don't look at your life like just because it seems like it's going the wrong way that God doesn't still have control of it completely and fully he's moving things around he's putting people right where they right where they belong and he's faithful to task all the things that need to be done I don't know if you guys make lists or not but I'm a list maker um, I'm a really bad in a good way I, I make lists about everything and you can ask my bride 
I'm one of those weird people. I make spreadsheets for groceries and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I want to see if, you know, if we go here first, and I think about if I turn down this road, I can save 3.47 seconds going to that store. And, you know, it just that kind of, that's the way my brain works. I can't help it. But can I tell you, God messes with my schedule a lot. <laughs> he sometimes doesn't let my spreadsheets work out. And, and furthermore, he takes my lists and throws them out the window. And sometimes he puts people in my path, and it's like, I, it's like, no, Jeff, I actually want you to talk to them. But Lord, I mean, this is only stop seven of 43 that I've got mapped out that I could squeeze in today. And God upsets my little schedule because he's got some greater thing that he is doing. And one of the things I've had to learn in my time in ministry is to leave room for God to bring things, even things I don't like, into my overly scheduled schedule at some times. And Pharaoh's going to work that way in, in Joseph's life. And he's going to bring the history of the land into view. And, and he's going to, through the archaeology of that era and through what we know about the histories of the people, um, he's going to set things up for Joseph and for Jacob and for the children of Israel, even to the point of bringing them right where they need to be by having a Hiskos Pharaoh at just the time that the Hebrews are going to be there. And so don't forget that God's at work. So when you have something that seems like it blew up, maybe it didn't blow up at all. Maybe God was just rearranging your schedule a little bit. Pharaoh's going to give him a bride, he's going to give him a daughter, and they're now going to move in, in the direction of seeing Pharaoh's life. Verse 42, and Pharaoh took off his ring, and, and you can see that, and he puts him in the second chariot, and he says, nothing is going to happen unless you make it happen. Verse 45, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphath Paphneah, and I like Joseph better, it's easier to say. And he gave him a wife, Asenath, which is the daughter of, of Potipharah. Uh, who was the priest of On? On was actually a town. It's not a god or a goddess. And so Joseph went out over all the land. And after all these years, he begins to, to work in these, these various areas of life and living. And, and then it says, and in the seven plenteous years, or the plentiful years, the earth brought forth by the handfuls. And he gathered up all of the food of seven years, which were in the land of Egypt. And he laid up food in the cities and food in the field which is round about every city, and he laid them up in the same. In other words, here, here is Joseph, this man who knows what's going to happen. He's already predicted this famine that's going to come, but they're in that time of plenty. Now imagine that you have the answers that are actually going to save all of Egypt, and exactly what you tell Pharaoh comes true. You're going to be pretty high up on the we want to like you list of even a foreign country, uh, a group of people who might otherwise hate you. Uh, and notice that he laid up food in the cities. He's planning ahead. He, he's got supply chain logistics down to a science, uh, even thousands of years ago. So here, here Joseph begins to, to work on these things. He's being very practical about it. Then Joseph gathered the corn as the sand of the sea, 
and, and very much until he, he left, left the numbering. He says, without number. There was so much food. As Joseph gathers these things there in verse 49, you can see God's just blessed and God has given him just the right thing to do. And, and all of a sudden, now he's ready for what's going to happen next. And now that he's prepared, now that he's ready, now that he's actually graduated from the school of ministry and he's well on his way, now God uh, takes a little pause to give him some extra family. And so here's, the, here's his wife, verse 50. It says, And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. I want you to notice something here. It doesn't say that he forgot his brothers. It doesn't say that he forgot his family. It's indicating he forgot the trouble that that family had caused him, the pain. Joseph is going to be a prime example of what it means to forgive and to remember not transgressions any longer. For God has made me forget the toil in my father's house. And the name of the second is called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Two beautiful names, two beautiful boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's two sons. I want to kind of put a little couple of of my own spends on this, if you will, a couple of paraphrases, if you will. And so God works in Joseph's life to give him two sons. And the first one, Manasseh, you might call amnesia. I, I pray for amnesia myself frequently and often. The ability to not remember any longer, especially in areas of pain and hurt and sorrow and suffering, those things that I no longer want to remember because they are unfruitful in my life. I pray for amnesia. And so it seems as though here Manasseh is called uh, what we would say is God made him forget. And if you remember, in the last chapter, we saw that Joseph has, in effect, been resurrected. He changed his clothes, he shaved, he's a whole new person. And now God's going to give him a, a family to go along with that. He's going to give him a family that enables him to, to forget about the things of the past that have caused him pain. This is so important in our lives for going forward and growth. If you are anchored to the past... If all you do is sit around and think about all the bad things that have happened to you and try and make heads or tails of why those things happened and and you want to get your pound of flesh and figure out who did what to you, I can guarantee you a couple of things. Number one, you're going to be miserable. And number two, you're going to be unfruitful. You will not be fruitful by trying to figure out why all the bad things have happened to you that have happened to you in your life. No matter how much you may end up having a grip on some of those things, you will never know the full purposes and plans of the Lord. He's not going to share those things with you initially. And so you have to trust him. And so a little bit of amnesia is a good thing. The second boy, Ephraim, means twice fruitful. And you might call that ambrosia. Any of you like that thing that we do at Christmas with the whipped cream and all the, you know, the fruit and everything else? That's called ambrosia. And it's got about every fruit known to man. It usually has fruit salad in it, amen? 
is being fruitful. You want to be fruitful. And Joseph kind of gets a picture of what his life is going to look like going forward. He's going to be able to forget the past, not be anchored to it. And in the future, he's going to be fruitful. God's going to speak into him through his two sons. And Joseph gives him these names because God's made him forget his father's house. He's made him fruitful in the land of, of Egypt. And notice it says very plainly that the seven years of plenteousness or plentifulness in the land were ended. In other words, there's going to be a reason that God is going to allow him this future fruitfulness because he's about to go through another difficult time. You would think he'd been through enough difficult times, but he hasn't. And and so by this time, Joseph is now 37 years old. We're already told how old he was. And so now he, he is in that place that he's going to start really making progress towards being restored to his brother. Verse 54, it says, And the seven years of famine had come. And Joseph had said the famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And so in all of the land of Egypt was famished. The people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do whatever he says to do. He's the guy with the answers. You're going to find that when God does things in your lives, you're going to have people who don't know the Lord because he's, they're going to see you going through the same difficulties that everybody else goes through, but you're going to go through them differently. You're going to actually have the Spirit of the Lord working in your life, and those difficult times that everybody goes through, you're going to handle them with a sense of amnesia and a sense of ambrosia. You're going to look at it, forgetting those things which are behind, exactly as the Apostle Paul said, I press on. I'm not going to remember these things in the past because you can't change them. It is impossible for you to actually change the situations that you've already been through. They are nothing more than memories. So your memories can either control you in your present or they can be fuel for what God wants to do. I prefer to use them as fuel for what God wants to do. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Joseph. He's going to allow these things to be used in the right way. Verse 56, and that famine was over all of the face of the earth. It didn't just affect Egypt. It's going to affect the land of Canaan as well. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to all the Egyptians. And the famine became so severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. All of them came to Joseph in Egypt. They didn't come to Joseph because if he'd have been back in Canaan, guess what they would have had to eat? Nothing. It's because he's in Egypt. It's because he's in an irrigated land. It's because he was in a land that had the capacity to have plenty for seven years. We don't know what happened in the rest of the world. We know this. Everybody in the rest of the world came to Joseph. God set him up perfectly to be the man of the hour for that, for that particular time, for such a time as this, because that famine was severe in all the lands. What did Joseph learn over that time? He learned to forgive, and he learned to forget the past. He learned to let it go. He could have sat and stewed over it, He was a blessing in Potiphar's house. 
He was a blessing to the people in prison. We find no part of Joseph's life that when you look at it, where you're just going, man, he was just really vengeful. Or he was out to get his pound of flesh out of anyone who hurt him. Or he, he was upset about all the inequities that he suffered. We see nothing of that in Joseph's life. He overcame temptation. There he's tempted by Potiphar's wife. He overcame that temptation. He overcame an accusation that was completely false. He overcame massive injustice. And he began to live his life in such a way that people took notice that the only thing that really mattered to Joseph was his faith in God. That's what people knew. One thing they knew about Joseph is that he trusted God. So much so that Pharaoh made a decree about his life. Probably the greatest of all the temporal achievements in Joseph's life was what happened to all the pain that his own family caused him. And I want to kind of use this as a, a way to wrap this up tonight. I have met almost no one in my entire life who hasn't recounted to me some kind of painful experience that is directly linked to their own family. Almost no one. All of us have pain of family. Sometimes it's children to parents, sometimes it's parents to children. Sometimes it's aunts, uncles, and cousins. Sometimes it's spouses. We all have family issues. Yours may not be mine. Mine may not be yours. Yours may be more dysfunctional or less dysfunctional. But the fact of the matter is, probably no one in this room has an absolutely perfect family. We all go through stuff. We all get hurt. But by God's grace, Joseph has been enabled to let every single bit of that go. And we're going to find out not only does he let it go, he actually takes great delight in eventually helping his own brothers and his family that that has caused him all of this grief. If you want to know the secret to forgiveness, it is doing good exactly as Jesus said to those who persecute you and do things falsely for his namesake. When you are cast down because you have been good, when you are beat up because you have taken a stand for the Lord and someone does something, says something, works in your life to hurt you in some way, the best thing you can do is bless them. That's the best thing you can do. Now, you can take another route. You can try and get even. You can try and even the score. You can try and extract the things from them that were taken from you. You can do those things. Or you can do what Joseph does. He concludes that his brothers are going to have to come to him because of the famine. And he says, that's going to be my opportunity for restoration and reconciliation. Not my opportunity to get even with them, but my opportunity to be restored. Exactly what is taught to us in Matthew chapter 18. 
The whole purpose of confronting your brother who's sinned against you, or your sister who's sinned against you, the whole purpose from God's perspective is so that you can gain back your brother. Read it for yourself. It's what it says. The whole purpose for us living through those things is to end up with a more forgiving heart than we had in the first place. We need to learn how to forgive and forget. And, and while we can't erase, we can't get out a mind eraser and like, you know, and get rid of every thought that's in there, what you choose to do with what's happened to you in the past is really up to you. How you process it, what you do with it. Joseph wanted his own heart to be clean. He wanted to be right before God. And he knew that he couldn't carry that bag of rocks into the throne room of God. He knew he couldn't take that kind of pain and say, Lord, you need to make this right. You know, people will often come to me and they'll say things like, well, they don't deserve my forgiveness. L- let, me, let me just say this. That is one of the most dangerous statements that you can possibly make with regard to your own spiritual well-being. Because you don't deserve God's forgiveness either. And what God's word says is if you do not forgive your brother who sins against you, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. But rather he will turn you over to the torturers. He's not saying he's going to take away your salvation. But he is saying if you want to be tortured in life, then walk around in an unforgiving heart and attitude. Because as a Christian, we have been forgiven every single thing that we have ever done in the past, did today, or will do tomorrow by the grace of God. And so Joseph is showing this to us. He had reason to absolutely hate his brothers. I don't know if you've ever been thrown into a pit, left for dead, but I'm pretty sure that's going to leave some kind of mark on your psyche. But Joseph chose to not let that mark his soul. It was in his mind. He couldn't forget it in that sense. But it was up to him what he did with it. And what he did with it was turn it into something that God could use for his good. By loving on him. By saying, you know what? I don't know what was going on in their life that caused you to, be, caused you to throw me into that pit. But it must have been horrible for you to do that to your own brother. I'm going to pray for you. When you turn things around like that. You're going to grow massively in the grace of God. All of a sudden, you're going to look at your life and go, man, I don't even know where this forgiveness came from. I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from God. Only God can do that type of work in our lives. Jesus, as he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, he actually really addresses all these things. Look, if you want to be forgiven, be forgiving. Amen? If you want mercy, be merciful. Amen? If you want peace, be peaceable. Amen? If you want reconciliation, be a reconciler. Amen? It's real simple. But we look at it often as the church from the world's position. The world's position is if somebody hurts you, hurt them back until it hurts more than you got hurt. That's the world's suggestion to us. Very often, well, just get them back. You know, just take a... You go get what's rightfully yours. You will never get what's rightfully yours because what was taken from you is absolutely unrecoverable in that sense. 
because it was in a period of time and you can't relive those days you can't relive those years you can't relive those moments you cannot go back you can only go forward and so if you're trying to live in the past and reconcile the moment in the past you will be stuck there you'll just be hanging around in the past going i don't know why i'm miserable it's because it's past it's over it's why his two boys are named what they're named You've got to be leaning on the new direction, the new sun, which is Manasseh. You've got to kind of be a little bit forgetful, and especially forgetful. That's why Paul writes about spiritual giftedness and love, agape love. Love doesn't keep a record of wrong, amen? 1 Corinthians 13, that's what it says. It does not keep a record of wrong. It doesn't look at other people and go, wow, you did this to me. Wait until you get yours. We have so many sayings in our society that are so anti-Christ. I don't care how many pounds of flesh you want to try and extract from somebody, it will not make you a better person. It's not going to make you a better Christian. It's not going to change your place in the kingdom. More than likely, it's going to make you miserable. And you're going to be completely unfulfilled because once you carry that plan out, you're still going to be stuck with you. And I'm going to be stuck with me. We're going to find out when we get to chapter 50 what God's doing here and we'll leave that for then. But looking at those past things from a future perspective gives him victory over that bitterness. When I look at what people have done to me in the past, With a future perspective, I have victory over the things of the past because I'm looking ahead. I'm looking towards the prize. I'm looking towards the things that God wants to do in my life and they have nothing to do with that pain in the past. So when I'm forgetful like that, I only see what God wants from my life, not what Satan did in my life. And that makes me more fruitful. He could have carried a grudge. He could have walked around in hate. He could have let his heart become hardened. But those things all harm us as much as they harm anyone else. And for the most part, they actually harm us more. Because they keep us from the good things that God wants to do today. You ever notice when somebody, you know somebody that's got a problem with bitterness, are they any fun to be around? new do they have a whole lot of people want to you know hey can we have a bitterness party at your house tomorrow no they don't why because scripture is true bitterness is as rottenness to your bones it literally corrodes your soul it eats at you it harms you and so joseph knows this by the spirit of god working in his life He knows that a grudge isn't going to help. If you enjoy gardening, and I I do, for whatever reason, I don't know why I like to fiddle with plants. I just do. But I can tell you what I hate. It's weeds. I hate weeds. I look at weeds, it's like, ah, that's the devil made weeds. (laughs) The devil invented weeds. You've got to pull weeds out. 
You got to kill them. You know, sometimes if you just take the easy way out and you don't pull the weeds out by the root, what happens? The root gets bigger, the weed gets stronger, and it gets twice as large. Bitterness, grudges, hate, anger, all those things, if you just clip them off so you can't see the weed and you do not yank them out by the roots, I guarantee you that bitterness, that grudge, that hate, that anger is coming back. It's going to be stronger, bigger, and deeper rooted. You got to yank it out. You got to say, you know what? This is not messing up the garden of my life. It's not worth it. Pull it out. Throw it away. If you want to be fruitful, you got to get rid of the things that's sucking the nutrients out of your spiritual life. And nothing does that worse than hatred, bitterness, anger, envy, strife. Those things which just corrode us and suck the nutrients right out of us. God doesn't want those things in our lives. Let's be honest. Egypt was a place of affliction. Egypt was a prison. But now he's got two sons, and he is going to be the most prominent person in all of Egypt, save the Pharaoh himself. And he's going to be twice as fruitful as he ever was in Canaan. In fact, he may have died if God had left him in Canaan with his family. They may have all perished. And so never underestimate the the wonderful ways that God can use extreme difficulties in your life to do something wonderful. But if you see some weeds growing up in that garden of your life, pull them out. Get rid of them. Say, I want nothing to do with this. Because we do want to be forgetting the past and we do want to be forgiving those things that have happened to us. You want to be, in that sense, living in that amnesia, that forgetfulness of those painful things. It becomes a tragedy when we become anchored to the past. I have a number of people in my life that when I think about them, it grieves my soul to think about how miserable they are about things that have happened so far in the distant past that the people that did them don't even remember them, and yet it's still affecting those people that I love in their present-day living. What a tragedy that is. Don't let that be you. Let that bitterness go. It just robs our peace, and it robs our joy. And that since Joseph laid aside his prison clothes. Remember, he comes out of the prison, and he shaves. You know, no good Jewish man would shave his beard off but joseph does that he's getting a fresh start he's putting on the new and he's putting off the old exactly as ephesians 4 says he's getting rid of the prison garb and he's putting on the new garb of the king i'm speaking metaphorically of those things it's not that pharaoh is king of kings and lord of lords but pharaoh in that sense did represent a new start for joseph he's got a new life now He's been resurrected out of the prison, out of death, if you will, in that sense. Paul reminds us there in Ephesians 4 to be kind-hearted, tender, forgiving one another, 
even as God in Christ forgives us. Joseph's learning that. That's a lesson for us. And as Paul would write to the church at Colossae, or in chapter 3, he said, you know, you have been raised with Christ. I came out of the prison. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Amen? Anybody in here part of that club? I was part of that club. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but he hath made me alive. Amen? That's how the book of Ephesians begins. There in chapter 2, we, were, we went from being dead to being alive. And because we're raised up with Christ, we now have this resurrection life living in us. We can now put on the new man. We can put on the new woman. We, we can be what God wants us to be. And it's interesting to me that there, in Colossians 3, that the Apostle Paul begins by telling us the things we need to get rid of. He says, if that's true, he postulates it in effect as a question. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, that's what verse 1 says of Colossians 3. If then, that's a question. Now, it's not questioning the validity of it. It's saying you should think of it if then or because you have is another way to think of it. Because you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. He goes down to verse 8. But now you yourselves put off all these. What does he say? Anger, wrath, malice, bitterness, blasphemy, terrible language, don't lie to each other. He says, put off the old man and all of his deeds. It's interesting to me that Joseph, before Jesus has even come to this earth, knows exactly what needs to happen to him spiritually because he's been raised out of the prison. Because he's been taken from death into life, he knew he needed to put off the old man. And he also knew he needed to put on those things which are a beautiful representation of Jesus. Humility, kindness. You look at Joseph's life, you're going to see Colossians 3 in a man in the Old Testament. A man that, that predates really the, the fullness of the children of Israel coming to fruition. Put on tender mercies. Joseph's going to be one of the most, he, he's when we get to the end of this book, you're going to see a man who's so filled with tender mercy. You're like, how did he do that? How, how did he live his life that way? And Paul would instruct us this way. He would remind us to be thankful. You know, thankful hearts have a tough time complaining about stuff. I've noticed this in my own life. When I go into a situation with a thankful heart, I look at everything from a different perspective. You know, we, we live in a world where it's easy to have things to complain about. But it really shouldn't be what we do as the children of God. Because every day is a gift. And no matter how crazy your world looks, no matter what's going on in your life, we are the redeemed of the Lord. One day we're going to heaven. And that's a good place to start. That's a good place for us to start as the body of Christ. We just go, you know what? If the very worst thing happens today and I actually die, from a human perspective, it's tough to get much worse than being dead. Amen? 
It's like, I don't think most people will get, you know, well, this would be worse than being dead. No, being dead is pretty much the top. If that happens to you, you're absent from the body and present with the Lord. You're going to be in the presence of the, true, the living God. And so as we let that word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom, we start singing those psalms and hymns, and we start praising God and being thankful for the things that he's done. All of a sudden, our life is, is now being pushed along by thankfulness. Joy-filled living instead of the, the bitterness and anger of the things of the past. Because your life will not be pushed forward by the things of the past. It will be drugged back or held back by the things of the past. That famine that's going to come is going to be an absolute outright disaster for people in the land where his family lives. But Joseph's going to be the answer. He's going to be the one that's going to have the bread. He's going to be in that sense exactly what Jesus is. He was the bread of life, amen? Joseph's going to say, I got bread, come and get it. His conduct as a servant, his conduct as a prisoner, his conduct as an official of Pharaoh's court, exemplary across the board. I pray ours is too. And when people see us, we go through difficult things. Oh, people see there's something different about the way we live our lives. And then out of that comes forgiveness and forgetfulness and fruitfulness. Amen? Would you stand and we'll pray together. I have some of the pastors up front after service and maybe you got something you need to forget about. Something you need to just forgive and forget and let go of. Maybe there's an area where you're being held back by some things that have happened in your past. Get a fresh start. That's what God wants. That's what he wants to do in your life. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph, Lord, just showing us what it means to really let go to not be anchored to the past, to not allow our, our past hurts Lord, the anguish of life and living, the things that we can't control, controlling the things that we can control. Lord, we, we have much to be thankful for, and we have places to go and things to do, Lord, for your kingdom. We pray that you give us a grateful heart and thankfulness. Lord, that the joy of your spirit would work in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Father, we bless you for loving on us and forgiving us of all of our sin. And Lord, may we be quick to forgive others of the things that they've done to us. Lord, we not look at anything as unforgivable. Lord, we remember there's nothing in your sight that can't be forgiven. We'll simply ask, would we have that attitude towards other people or especially those closest to us? And so, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, we thank you that you put us in school of ministry life and living and because you do have a plan for our lives Lord we look forward to the next steps the things that you're going to do and so Lord we bless you we praise you we ask all this in Jesus name Amen